You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Get to it. All right, open your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 6. More than likely the last time we will say that in for a little while as we are coming to an end. And those of you joining us in person, get your Bibles out at home. You go find them, get your Bibles out. The rest of you ushers are coming forward. They have Bibles um, that you may need to be able to uh, follow along. We want you to have God's Word in your hand. And so just encourage you to take one of those Bibles, turn to Ephesians 6. Also, on your chairs today, if you didn't notice, there's a bunch of stuff on those chairs. And, um, and, and take those home. Then there's more of it. That's just the sampling. If you're like, oh, I want a sticker. I need another sticker. I need this, you know, and, and take it from another chair if they're not taking it. But there's also more on the back table and, uh, or just over on the red counter. This is for the Fight Well series, Good Reminders. We have shirts that are still for sale. Um, who wants a shirt? Anyone here want a, want a shirt? Just raise your hand. We'll see. You, you got to catch. If you drop it, it's... It's, uh, who got it? Oh, Casey. Well, we might have a little larger one for you over there. You can exchange it for free. But good deal on the shirts today. And uh, these Fight Well shirts to be a reminder of all of this. You think, well, why are you doing this? Well, it's, it's better it be in your houses, in your cars, in your Bibles, and places where you're going to see it rather than get boxed up and placed in a container in a sea can somewhere. And so take advantage of that stuff and, and fill up your Bibles and your cars and, and wherever with these things to be reminders and even things you can give out to other people. Now, just a quick little recap here in the area of, in the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters start out and it is all about the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ and the rich inheritance, like when you think about it, the, the eternity, the future, the rich inheritance that we have waiting for us in Jesus Christ, that we have been saved, we've been redeemed, we've been forgiven. You read through those first three chapters and it's like, oh, what a benefit package this is. Adopted, sealed by the Holy Spirit into a guaranteed inheritance. And, and, and what, we have for, what we have in Christ is absolutely amazing. And that we are God's workmanship, part of His family. We have bold access to God through Jesus. And none of this is earned. None of this is, is worked for. It's not like if you're just born into a good family or, 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 or live in a certain way that you're going to get this kind of blessing and access to God. No, it is all available to anyone who, has, uh, who has, uh, has faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God's grace is available to any and all through Jesus Christ. And it is just simply to be received. And what an amazing truth and reality that is. Those are in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Then chapter 4, 5, and 6, we have instructions and commandments about how now we ought to live in light of chapters 1 to 3. All of the blessings, all that we have in Christ, now we have instructions and commands. Here's how we are to live in light of all of these realities. And so there's instructions there, and it's things that we must learn to, and, and grow in and develop in our lives. And, and, um, and, and yet, we're also reminded, you don't do this in, in your own power, in your own strength, just, to, you know, just a bunch of discipline, just a bunch of let's just get to it, and, and, and we're just going to stick in there. And do, no, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, we, we do this in the power of the Holy Spirit by daily being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, recognizing that, that we are weak, we are weak unto ourselves, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do great and mighty things through Christ who gives us that strength. And, and it tells us there in Ephesians 5, 18, don't get drunk. 
Don't get drunk on the things of this world. It says don't get drunk on wine, but that's just an example of just don't allow the influences of this world to, to, to cause you to stumble and to stagger and to lose focus. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we have these instructions. And then in chapter 6, as Paul is bringing this amazing letter to an end, he wants us to be able to live with the right focus because he warns us that trying to live for God, trying to live a God-glorifying life, it's going to be tough. It's going to be war. It's going to be a struggle. And he tells us that the battles that we're fighting, though we think it's with that person in our life, that difficult person, family member, spouse, child, um, grandparent, whoever it might be, that politician, that neighbor next door, that co-worker, that's where the, my real, if, if I just didn't have that person bothering and hounding, if that person would only change. No, we're reminded that our battle and our struggle is not with the physical first and foremost. Our battle, our struggle is in the spiritual realm. It is with Satan and his demons. It's in the powers and principalities that are in the heavenly, in the heavenly realms. And that is where spiritual victories are won and lost. And we have to realize that because we're, we're going to war all the time with those around us. And we're not, we're not fighting right. We're not fighting well. And so he tells us then, Paul gives us the instruction from the Word of God. He tells us how we have spiritual armor, how we have armor to be able to defend, but also then to be able to advance against the enemy. And this is through Jesus Christ. And we have all that we need to stand firm to fight well. And, and to put on this armor... This is God's armor. This is the armor of God. Romans 13, 14 says, put on Christ. Well, how do we put on Christ? By putting on the armor of God. It's, it's God's armor that we put on. And it's, then it says, and make no provision for the flesh. So we, we, we desire to turn out the flesh and the things of this world and those desires, and we put on Christ. And we do this by putting on this armor. And we've taken nine Sundays and to, to work through these six pieces of armor. And then last time we looked and we saw the seventh piece of armor that oftentimes isn't seen as a piece of armor, but it is so important. It, it, and we talked about last time about all in prayer, that it's prayer that then activates and energizes this armor so that we can move ahead in victory. Now, once again, I'm going to ask you to follow in, in your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 6, and then when we get to verse 14, I'm going to have you join me and in standing in declaring God's Word. And even though uh, those of you that are watching at home and then some of you suffering in Mexico uh, right now, Shane and Roxanne and others, you posted that picture on the online lobby. How dare you? You better be standing. I want to see a picture of you standing and reading God's Word uh, as you look at the, at the, the beautiful ocean and palm trees. And, um, and, and so I'm going, to, I'm going to start reading in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, now join me in standing, verse 14, and let's read together. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the word, sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You may be seated. Now, keeping your Bibles open, we're going to continue on in a moment in verse 19, because here is where, now Paul gets rather personal. He closes this letter and he gets personal. There's some final greetings in the very end, but right now there, we get a picture of Paul's heart. We get a picture of what's going on in his mind. And here in verse 19, we'll see it in a moment, he says, hey, hey loved ones, hey church, hey dear church in Ephesus, the ones, I, I love you, I, I love you people so much. Hey brothers and sisters, hey, I, I have something to ask of you. Can you do something for me? He's wanting um, to, to get them to do this. And here we see the great, the mighty Apostle Paul in humility and vulnerability saying, hey church, hey loved ones, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? He's urging these people who love him and who he loves in return to pray for him. You know, sometimes it can be so difficult to ask for prayer, isn't it? It's so easy to offer to pray for other people and to pray for others, but it can be so difficult at times to, to say, hey, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? I'm battling, I'm struggling. It's easy sometimes to say, hey, would you pray for me because of the situation that's going on? But, but it can be much more difficult when it, when it comes to, hey, would you pray for my heart? Would you pray for the battle and the struggle, what's going on in, within me? That can be so hard. And, and, and we can so easily and so quickly love to divert and we love to pray for others. And we do pray for the others, and that's good. But oftentimes it's hard to admit, hey, I need prayer. Would you pray for me? Now prior to this, we need to just remember, actually when Paul is writing this, he is in prison in Rome. He's under house arrest. He's chained to a Roman guard. People are able to come and go and see him, but he is stuck there in that house and he is in, in chains. And he is awaiting a trial before Nero, the terrible emperor of the, of the Roman Empire. And this ended up being for him a two-year stint that he was in prison, waiting trial. Now, prior to this, Paul was in prison. You see this in the last part of the book of Acts. Paul was in prison just outside of Jerusalem, which is quite a ways away, for more than two years once again. So he's, he's basically now about four years into being held under, uh, under chains in prison or under house arrest, being falsely accused in all of these situations. He was falsely accused and incarcerated. And he, 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 while he was in, in prison just outside of Jerusalem in Caesarea, he appealed to Caesar and says, I have my rights as a Roman, I need to go to Caesar. And so they're like, okay, finally after two years, we'll send you on to Caesar. And so he gets to go to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to declare the gospel in Rome, but he had no idea it was going to be in chains. And he gets on a boat in chains and, and as you read the last part of the book of Acts, I mean, he is winding his way through um, to, to get to Rome through shipwreck and storms and other things, and you just read that, and, and he finally gets to Rome, and he's back in prison. He's under house arrest. None of this is how he pictured his life to be. Here's an older man. He's older in ministry. He's getting ready to, for retirement, if you want to say, although there is no such thing as true retirement in the kingdom of God. You press on, and then you, you graduate right to heaven. And so Paul is desiring to be faithful. 
but yet things were not going how he had hoped. And so he's writing to these dear ones. He's giving them all these great instructions and encouragement and reminder. But now he's saying, hey, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? And what does he ask for? What does he ask them to pray for him about? Interesting. That is his request that his conditions improve? Does he ask for prayer for his health and safety? Is he asking for prayer that that dictator, Nero, would somehow get taken out? That there would be a coup and they would get rid of him? Or is he praying just for his general health and, you know, as an aging man? Is he praying for his protection? Is he praying for freedom? What's he praying for? Is he praying that justice would prevail? No. Here's his request in, in verse 19. He says, pray also for me. All of the things he could be asking for, for prayer about, here's what he's asking for. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. His request, that he would have an unwavering witness for Christ, that no matter what would happen, his witness for Christ would not change. And Paul believed that God was sovereign. He believed God was sovereign over all and every situation, every detail of his life. Do you, do you believe that in your life? God is sovereign? God is in control? Uh-huh, yeah, sure. Yeah, we, we believe that. But how oftentimes do we really believe it and trust that? Because here, but, but Paul understood this, and it's so beautiful to see this. Hey, even if I'm in prison, that's God's will. That's God's plan. It's God's will. It's God's plan that you are in Kelowna at this point in your life, at this season, whatever you're going through, it's God's appointed plan for your life. And, and he believed that, that even God was sovereign over every detail, including what the devil did to him and was doing to him. And, and we see in previous writings the way the devil would go after him and attack him and what evil people did and were doing to him. He believed God was sovereign in all of that. And what was meant to crush him, what was meant to destroy him, Paul, in, in seeing it all, desired that God would be glorified. And it was actually resulting in what the enemy meant for evil, the enemy meant to destroy, God used for incredible good. But he needed help because he was tired, he was weak, he was weary. And he needed the prayers of God's people. And regardless of the situation or the conditions, his desire was to glorify God by living and proclaiming with an unwavering witness for Christ. You see, Paul was blinded, wasn't he? He was blinded for a season in his life. It was a number of days. He was blinded on the road to Damascus when he had that bright light encounter with Jesus Christ. And that encounter with Jesus Christ caused him to truly see Christ. And as a result of that encounter with Jesus, he rearranged his life. He did a complete 180 from the direction he was going and he rearranged his life and committed to follow Jesus through it all. And sadly, the thing that can so quickly and easily happen in our, in our own lives is we get blinded as well. But we get blinded by the loves and the pursuits and the, and, and the cares of this world. Those are the things that blind us and, and, and cause us to not see clearly. And it causes us to not see and to pursue Christ in the way that we ought to. And so we end up settling for living for my mission and my purposes. 
And God simply becomes this insurance policy in our life that we just kind of have in the back pocket in case there's fire, in case there's a storm, in case there's illness, then I better pull up my insurance package and see what God offers to do. And that's not what God desires. God wants us to to trust him fully and that every part of our life would be wrapped up in him. As, As we were singing, my life is in you, Jesus, faithful, that our lives would be in him. And, and so oftentimes today, and, and this may be your story, you prayed the prayer, you were baptized, you come to church, you're here today, you're tuning in online, that's great. But was there true repentance? And making Jesus, did you make Jesus, have you made Jesus the Lord and the Savior, the master of your life? It's one thing just to quickly pray a prayer that you want to go to heaven and have Jesus become, and I can't stand this method of it, have Jesus become your forever friend. Yet he will be your forever, your friend, if he is your Lord and your Savior. And as we repent and we turn from our ways and we desire to follow him, you say, well, I, I think I've done that. I hope I've done that. Because that's where true salvation, that's when salvation kicks in. Well, you will know because over time, the fruitfulness of your life, it will show. It will show in the fruitfulness. And it doesn't mean that there's not going to be times where there's going to be some bad fruit and it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult, but there's this pull and this desire to get right back with God and there's confession, there's repentance, like, God, I need you. And we come back to him. And the things so easily in this world, however, the pleasures, the comforts, the fears, the frustrations can easily just overwhelm us. And this is where that old song that, that, that we'll sing from time to time, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will what? Grow strangely dim. You know what? We need to get our eyes on Jesus. Because the things of this world and what, what is happening all around us, what is happening in our lives, in our families, happening in Ottawa, in Windsor, in Coots, Alberta, in Surrey, in, 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 in all of this, in, in, in the politics of our land, what's going on in our world, those are the things, they're not dim, they're fore, forefront in our eyes. And we need to get our eyes back on Jesus and allow the things of this world to become dim because we know of the inheritance and the life and the power and strength and the mission that God has for us. And we must not allow to be, be wavered to, to go in other directions than that. Believer in Christ today, the great commission that gripped Paul and, 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 and changed his life, and it was what his life was about, is to be our call as well. It wasn't just for Paul that he was to be about the great commission. It was, it's for us as well. Our mission statement as a church up on the screen, to glorify God in the fulfillment of the great commission, in the spirit of the great commandment. What is the great commission? To go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples, seeing disciples made, not just people who, who pray a prayer, get baptized, whoo, you're in, check mark, our church stats looking good, you know, keep the stats up, keep them running. No, it's make followers, people who love Jesus, who follow Jesus, who live and desire to, 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 to grow in Christ-likeness in their lives. And making disciples in the spirit of the great commandment. What is the great commandment? To love the Lord our God. Out of a love, a growing love for God, then we would love others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then you love others. With this vertical love, then we have this horizontal ability ability to be able to love those around us. 
That's our mission statement. Or put another way, love this way, that, that easily describes this. Lost people saved. Saved people matured. Matured people multiplied. That is what our church is to be about. That is what we are to be about as individuals. But here's the thing. We can know this. We can have this on our website. We can talk, to it, talk about it from time to time and go like, yeah, that's it. It's good to be part of a church like this. And we can, can, can be committed to worship and to God's Word and reading it in our lives. We can be committed to small groups. We can you know, be here Sunday after Sunday. And we can be so passionate and so committed even in serving and giving of our time and our resources. But it's got to move outside these walls. It just isn't being strong and passionate for the Lord when we're in our little Christian bubble. It's getting out of that bubble and it's living on mission for Him with an unwavering witness for Christ regardless of where we are and who it is we are encountering. But the only way this is going to happen, it's going to require prayer, much prayer. And this is where Paul is needing this. His batteries, no doubt, are drained. He is getting tired and weary and he's wanting to be a faithful witness there in Rome as he's under, in chains, chained to this Roman guard. And yet he's saying, hey, yeah, I need you to pray. I need you to pray for me. Because we're going to be tempted to waver, to quit, to give up, to be consumed with lesser things that can so easily happen in all of our lives and our own missions and our own pursuit and the fears and the frustrations of this world can overwhelm us. And so this morning we're going to learn from Paul from these two verses about an unwavering witness and what it requires. An unwavering witness requires, and, and here's a statement that is going to kind of make the bulk of our message today. An unwavering witness for Jesus Christ requires a humble, Holy Spirit-infused, bold gospel proclamation regardless of location or conditions. That's a summary of these two verses. Let's break it down. First of all, a humble. It, says, it talks about a humble Holy Spirit, bold gospel proclamation, but it starts with humility. As Paul says, pray for me. Here's what Paul, towards the end um, of his life and his ministry, he's humbling himself and saying, hey, I need you to pray for me. I'm tired. I'm weary. I need you to pray that I will remain strong. He's not writing this here as if he's reached some sort of spiritual plateau. I've got this all figured out. I've got the whole armor of God thing figured out. I, you know, I'm strong and I'm able to withstand any attack. No, I need prayer. I need prayer, he says. And we tend to think he was so mighty and so strong. But this here, these statements in verses 19 and 20, this is more of a confession from Paul and a revelation that his bold supernatural confidence came from God and not from him. In other places, in 1 Corinthians 2, we see he, he writes about his weakness and his struggles and that it's got to be the power of the Holy Spirit in him. But do you know what made him mighty and what made him bold? It was the power of the Holy Spirit through the power of prayer that ignited him. The prayers of God's people standing with him. Charles Spurgeon, probably if you have been in church for six months, you have heard about him and if you are in our church, you probably hear, him, hear about him even more. Because Charles Spurgeon uh, was an English preacher who lived in the late 1800s, regarded by many as being one of the greatest preachers since the Apostle Paul. He was the prince of preachers, he was considered. And, and, and even today, his words, his sermons, um, can't be listened to, didn't have audio devices back then, but the transcripts of them and quotes and, and different things are so mighty and so powerful how God continues to use the ministry of this faithful one. 
when he was asked about his ministry effectiveness in preaching the word of God and the influence that he had, this was his answer. My people pray for me. My people pray for me. When training young preachers, he said, you can preach the same sermon to far greater effect if your people will pray. Because the word of the Lord, he says, goes out unhindered when people pray. I, I, I've read stories about him. People would come and they would visit his church and, and either he or someone else would at times, it was a grand church building that they would have, and, and he would love to conduct a tour of the church. And you know the first place that he took them? He said, I want to show you the furnace room. I want to show you the furnace room. And they're like, why do we want to see this coal furnace like in the basement of this church? And so he takes them into the furnace room, and what is it? It's a room of 200 people who are praying. And he said, these people are the power. This is where the power, this is where the heat comes from, from God's people standing with me in the pulpit as I'm preaching the Word of God. God's Word, accompanied with fervent prayer, has divine power to break strongholds and accusations and lies and temptations of the evil one. It's how the sword of the Spirit becomes a scalpel that brings life and health. But it's ignited through prayer. It's not the giftedness of the individual. Paul asked for prayer because he knew he was weak. He knew he was vulnerable. What, were he, what was he vulnerable to? Well, we have all kinds of references to what he was vulnerable to in, in, in his writings because he was very open about it. He was vulnerable to pride. At one point he said, hey, pray that I don't get conceited. He, was vulnerable. he had a crowd. He had a following. Pray I don't get conceited. He was prone to depression, to loneliness, to heartache, to pain, to suffering, people deserting him. Him writing, at one point he says, hey, everyone in Asia, they all deserted me. They all took off. No doubt was vulnerable to wanting to just at times give up. We can find a scripture and verse for every one of these temptations and struggles that he had. Back again to Charles Spurgeon in 1871 at the age of 37, he faced a battle with depression. He had to take time off, a number of months even, because of his illness, laying in bed day after day. And he wrote this to his congregation in that time. He said, Dear friends, the furnace still blows around me. Since I last preached to you, I have been brought very low. My spirit has been made prostrate with depression. I entreat you not to cease your supplications. I am as a potter's vessel when it is utterly broken useless and laid aside. This is a man who is down low, isn't he? This is the most effective preacher in Great Britain saying this. He goes on and says, Nights of watching and days of weeping have been mine, but I hope the cloud is passing. I again ask for your prayers. And he signs it, your suffering pastor. That's a real man. That's a real man. That's a real individual human being who just admits, I'm struggling, I'm weak, and I need your prayers. To have an unwavering witness, an unwavering trust and boldness and confidence in our God, it begins with being humble before Him, a humble dependency upon the Lord. How we need, how I need, how you need the prayers of brothers and sisters in Christ. 
if great men of God like the Apostle Paul, Charles Spurgeon, and the like needed the prayers of God's people, how much more do we need this in our lives? Being real, being vulnerable and saying, I'm battling and I'm struggling right now and I'm in a difficult place in my mind, in my marriage, in this situation, in what's going on in the world. Pray for me. I'm getting overwhelmed. It's like a sea that just keeps hitting up against me. It's not just the prayer for health and safety or getting that job or praying for our kids. Yeah, that's all important. But more than that, it's pray for my heart. Pray for my mind. Pray for the battle. Pray for the sin and temptation. Pray for an unwavering witness that I would stand strong for Christ and not get caught up and consumed with the lesser and, 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 and lesser missions and pursuits that can so oftentimes consume us. An unwavering witness begins, it starts with a humble dependency upon the Lord and the prayers of God's family. If Paul needed it, so do we. He wasn't on a high horse. He was pretty low. And we'll end up seeing the result of this is amazing. Unwavering witness continues. It must be Holy Spirit infused. Look what he says, verse 19. He says, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth. He doesn't want to be preaching Paul. He doesn't want to be preaching his wisdom. He doesn't want to be smart and funny and influential. Paul just doesn't want to ramble. He doesn't want to just ramble with words. No, he wants his words to count. So King James Version, like how it puts it, 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 it actually states it much clearer. It says that utterance may be given to me. And that word utterance has to do with the direct work of the Holy Spirit. You see the word utterance mentioned again in Acts 2 at Pentecost. And you see that the Holy Spirit, this people uttered, they spoke in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying, would, would you pray that I would speak the words that the Holy Spirit would give to me? I want my words to count. Paul is saying, pray that the Holy Spirit would give me these words. And oh, would we, we need that too, don't we? Because with our words, we can cut, we can damage, we can destroy, or we can build up and we can give life and hope to those around us. Oh, that the Holy Spirit would lead us and guide our words whenever we open our mouths. But then to declare what? Well, that's the next part of the statement we see here. A bold gospel proclamation that we would be able in the Spirit's power to, to proclaim the gospel boldly. Look at verse 19, the last part. It says, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And the end of verse 20, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul is saying, pray that there would be a bold, clear gospel message in everything that is said and done. Let's face it, we can say a lot of stuff, right? Oh, we can get talking on certain subjects. Kind of like the politician, who after giving a rousing speech, and the crowd is cheering and clapping and just, you know, on to victory, and, 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 and the politician walks off the stage as the crowd is cheering behind him, and he says to one of his, his advisors, I hope that in all that I said, I didn't say anything. You know, and, and, and that's oftentimes very true, right? Like, oh, I hope I didn't commit to anything. It's relatively easy to say so much and to give people what we think and believe, give them a piece of our mind. But the question is, do we really truly have something to say? Is what we have to say life-giving? Is it God-honoring? Is it kingdom-building? 
Are we prepared and ready to give a bold proclamation, presentation of the gospel? I mean, we're so ready to give a bold proclamation of our political views, about our views on COVID and mandates and the trucker convoy. I mean, we're really quick to give our views and our thoughts on that, right? And then we just all, let, let's face it, we all think to ourselves, now, no, just, that if everyone would just believe like me, this whole thing would be over. We just have to convince everyone to think like me. That's not what we are to be giving our bold comp, uh, proclamation about. And isn't it funny, like, I don't know if you realize this, but with everything that's going on, you get pretty gifted pretty quickly in going up to a stranger or someone who you don't know, and you can either, through what you say or what they say, you can pretty much label where they stand and where they're at when it comes to everything COVID, right? We're good at that. How about we get better at understanding where people are at spiritually with Jesus Christ and giving them the only hope and the help that will change their lives and transform them and give them an eternity in heaven that is going to be so much more amazing than this stinkhole of an earth that we are so bent on having it go our way. We get our eyes so much on the things around us Rather than declaring the freedom and the life that we can have in Jesus Christ, we get so overwhelmed. We're so fearful. And I can be in that camp just like you. Are we quick and ready to share the life-saving, eternity-altering good news of the gospel? Or are we muzzled with fear or distraction or fear of rejection, getting ridiculed for, for our beliefs in Christ? Are we fearful, not knowing what to say? 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have in Jesus. On all of your seats, you have one of these gospel cards. The good news of the gospel, it says, and then we have multiple hundreds of them. They're in packages of five. Take ten packages of, if you want. Know this card. It's simple. Four steps in being able to share the gospel. What would happen if ten people... What, what if all of us this week, I'm going to raise the bar, what if all of us use the truth of the good news of the gospel to share with one person this week, rather in you know, a grocery store lineup or in a, wherever you might be at work instead of everything COVID and, and what you believe is really happening and what you think is going on, but we shared, hey, this is what's really happening, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is saving people for eternity, and we can find a hope and a peace and a strength in Jesus. That's what we are to share. What if we all shared with one person this week what would happen? To be amazing what God would do in seeing people come to faith in Jesus, to true freedom and forgiveness and life. How we need to be ready. At our last prayer night, we prayed for our nation as Bill C-4 in January was recently passed into law. And this means everything going on, COVID, under, underneath are a lot even worse things in many ways. And this means that it could become illegal to teach or preach or counsel stating God's truth when it comes to 
gender identity, sexuality, and marriage, that to counsel, to preach any of this could become illegal. And some even say it already is, and that's going to be fought out in the courts in the coming months and years. But our prayer as a church, and our prayer that night, and I trust it will be our prayer today and always, is that we believe the greatest danger facing the Canadian church and believers is not that we might face criminal prosecution, but rather we might compromise in our teaching of the Word of God or fall silent in our proclamation of the Gospel. That we would not be fearful, that we would be bold in our witness to be able to say this is what God's Word says, even if it means being ridiculed, losing things near and dear to us, having to step away from friendships, maybe even certain jobs at times, that rather than falling silent, that we would boldly, with love, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. People need to hear that only Jesus saves. Only in Jesus is there true freedom and true life. Oh, that we would know peace in our lives. And as Paul already stated in in Ephesians 4.15, he says, speak the truth always in love. Yes, we need to be bold in our proclamation, but we also need to be filled with words of love. Bold proclamation continues on, regardless of location or conditions. Verse 19, he says, even as an ambassador in chains. Wow. Even regardless of where I am, I'm an ambassador right now. I'm in chains. I've been in chains for probably, it's probably been at least four years and there's been other imprisonments in his ministry before that. Wherever I am, wherever I go, I want to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ of the gospel, speaking only what I ought to speak. And for him now being in house arrest in Rome, this was his new mission field. Sure, chained to a Roman guard. I've read places that they were 12-hour shifts. And, and so it would be, First of all, it would be new soldier, new mission field. You need to hear about Jesus. And for 12 hours, he would share Jesus with that soldier and with anyone else who would be coming. He would hear the gospel no matter how much. No, 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 I can't hear you. I can't hear you. He'd hear the gospel. Oh, that we would be like Paul to live with an unwavering witness, a humble, Holy Spirit-infused, bold gospel proclamation regardless of location or conditions with would this just be in our hearts? Would this be who we are as individuals, as a church? Well, this week you can take this study a little further in the study guide that will be posted online. It will also be included in Tuesday's email. It will be in the, uh, posted on the online lobby a little later on this afternoon. And here are seven ingredients or seven ways, and they're just going to appear up on the screen with the scripture verses, but... Um, but you can do a further study on this, and we're not going to take time to go through all of these. But establishing a gospel boldness in our lives, here's, here's ways we can do it. And all those references have to do what, in, in, in the pursuit of an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, gave boldness to ordinary, uneducated disciples. If something was different about them, because they had spent time with Jesus, they had boldness. They, and when we spend time with Jesus and the Word of God being strengthened, we have a boldness. It goes on uh, with fervent prayer. We said much about that. But again, you see, when the church prays, things happen. There's, and, and there's gospel boldness and miracles can take place. Relying on and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
That's where the energy, that's where we're energized to be able to live for Christ. Number four, an awe for the work of God. It's so easy, again, to look at all the bad that's going on in the world, and it so consumes us. And we send the text messages, and we send the memes, and we send the videos, and, and, and these things grip us in such a great way. But we need to, to be consumed with the greatness and the majesty and the wonders of our God, whether that's His work in creation, and looking at all that God is, has done in the beauty of God's creation and the wonders of the universe, but then it's also looking at what God has done and is doing in our own lives, how God has been so faithful, what God is doing in the life of our church. These are some exciting days. God is doing some very sweet things, but we're so busy and so consumed with all these other things that, that, that we don't see how God is at work in our midst. Just even through the marriage conference that we had, and last week, the men's event that we had, the tune-up time, and, and what's going on in groups, and, 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 and through prayer times, and, and, and just hearing of some of the changes in people, the transformations and salvation. This is where we just get an awe for how God works. Our daughter-in-law's father-in-law, or our daughter, our daughter's father-in-law passed away in December, and many of you were praying for, for them, and, and uh, he passed away after a quick bout of cancer, and it's left his dear widow battling and struggling all alone. She has her, her grown children, but this is a new reality for her, but she recently told my daughter, Clarice was telling me, she said, you know, Barb just keeps talking about how she is just so wrapped in God's presence and how God has just been so real to her and has given her such a strength and a joy. She was angry when we were at the funeral. She was angry. And that's okay, but she took that anger to God. And she's going to have the hard and the difficult days still. But she says, there is a peace and a presence in my life that I've had no other way. Why? Because people were praying for her. We need to be in awe. Of the, only God can do that. In the midst of losing your spouse who has been with you and the provider and has worked so hard in all these ways and to have him gone and yet to see God work, that's the awe of God. No drug, no other thing could give you that peace and that presence that God offers. That's the awe and the wonder of our God. Persistence in the face of opposition, a passion for souls, a love for people. These are ways that we can continue and establish and grow in a gospel boldness in our own lives. Paul continued to live in that humble, Holy Spirit-infused, bold gospel proclamation regardless of locations and circumstances. And how do we know that he did this? How do we know that the prayers took, if you want to say? Because I believe those prayers did take. You read in Acts 28, you read about this very time and what he experienced. It says in verse 28 or, or verse 30 of Acts 28, the very end, of, this is how the book of Acts ends. He lived there two whole years. This is in, in jail in, in Rome. He lived there two whole years at his, at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. The prayers took a man in humility said, pray for me. Pray that I would be bold and the word of God would go forth boldly without hindrance. And it says, it happened. And it was there while Paul was living as a prisoner, welcoming anyone who would want to come in here and he would share the gospel. And it's because the people prayed for Paul 
even though he was chained to that Roman guard, he would meet and share the gospel with many. You know who one of those individuals was? Again, we know this from God's word. It was a runaway slave. A guy who decided that he was going to run away. He ripped off his boss. And he knew he was going to be in trouble and he was going to die more than likely. And he's like, I'm out of here. And he takes off a thousand miles. You think you can run from God? Uh-uh-uh-uh. Onesimus runs away to Rome, a thousand miles away. And who does he encounter? The Apostle Paul. And what ends up happening? Onesimus gives his heart to Jesus. He ran away from his master only, run, only to run into the arms of the master. And it turns out that Paul knew Onesimus. Isn't the body of Christ sometimes so small and so amazing and yet so huge and wonderful? Paul knew, knew his master. It was Philemon. But you know Philemon? Yeah, I ran away from him. You know Philemon? I know Philemon. Philemon was in the church in Colossae. He hosted a, a home church there. That's, we met there. I know Philemon. Onesimus, well, you've got to be kidding me. And while he was in prison, Paul would write this letter with boldness, with urgency to Philemon, asking the gospel to go further in Philemon's life, asking him not to kill Onesimus because he was going to send Onesimus. Onesimus, you need to make this right. You need to go and be right. You're right before God, but now you need to be right before others, before your boss. And he's writing this letter, and he's saying, Philemon, now you need to go back, and you need to make this right. And there's going to be a gospel opportunity for Philemon to apply the gospel that's been already applied to his life in Jesus Christ to now apply forgiveness and grace to a runaway slave coming back. There's going to be an opportunity for Onesimus now to go back and to experience gospel grace. How did this all happen? All because of the boldness of Paul. Lord willing, next week, we're going to start into this amazing book, this letter on freedom. And where's freedom found? It's in forgiveness. It's in the gospel and the gospel hope that we have in reconciliation and something that is so greatly needed in our life, in our lives, in our families, and in our world, especially over these last two years. We need forgiveness. We need to be set free. And that is found in the gospel, in boldly living and proclaiming it. Let's pray together. And so God, even now as we take these truths that we've been hearing these 10 past weeks about the armor of God, would we take and put that on, would we put on Christ every day and make no opportunity for the flesh? But God, also too, would we then move out in prayer praying for and with one another with gospel boldness, unwavering in our witness for you. There's so many opportunities and excuses, God, I confess in my own life, to get sidetracked from the primary mission and calling that you have for each one of us. Knowing that there are people that you will place in our lives this week where we have the opportunity to be a loving witness for Jesus Christ. There are other people waiting on the other side of our obedience to be faithful in this. And may we be a people of fervent prayer, filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered to speak with love and with boldness as we ought to speak about the good, the life-changing message and hope that there is in Jesus and Jesus alone, regardless of what goes on in our world this week. 
This is the only truth that will save. This is the only truth that will save people from hell. This is the only truth that can take an empty life and existence here on earth and give purpose and meaning and hope. Oh, would we be gospel carriers this week? But would we also allow the gospel to continue to penetrate our own lives, in our relationships, in whatever it is that we face? God, help us to hold on to your promises. Help us to cling to you and stand firm in the faith, knowing that as we do, the enemy will run. And that we will see and experience gospel victory as we hold on to you and to these truths, faithful to the end, faithful until you call us home or until you return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.